Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. I'm glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here. If you're one of our guests, we do invite you to stick around at the services. Let us get to know you and you get to know us just a bit better. And if you haven't already, I want to uh, invite you to say hi to our brother. Monty Wanhaas is here. Uh, oh, and is that is that Chris Beard too? When'd you get into town? Just kidding. He's staying with me, so <laughs> pray for me, please. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If you would grab your Bible, turn to Isaiah 52. Isaiah chapter 52. We will read beginning in verse 13 through the end of chapter 53. So 52, 13 to 53, 12. Hear now the word of the true and living God. Behold, my servant shall act wisely... He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many as were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they had not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring he shall prolong his days. The will of Yahweh shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one 
My servant make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let us pray. Indeed, Father, as we sang just a moment ago, we come before you now, and at your feet we humbly bow. Do not disdain our suit. Shall we seek you in vain? No. Rather, we seek you through your word this morning, and we pray that through the lens of prophecy, we see what you have accomplished, even on our behalf. Through Christ, we pray. Amen. Every verse, and and perhaps even every line of this song, and that's what it is, the song of the suffering servant, just about every verse and every line could be its own sermon. That's how deep gospel truth runs through these verses. No doubt, as we were reading through this, your mind was probably making connections to the gospel story, pierced for our transgressions, and we think about the nails that pierce the hands and the feet, or maybe the spear that it pierces the side after Christ has died, and how He, he makes intercession, and, and these things pointing us to the cross. He opened not His mouth before His accusers. That's what He does at His trial. It is coercive injustice, a coercive unjust trial that sees Christ ultimately on the cross. Well, it's the oppression and judgment that He's taken away by there in verse 8. All of these connections, again, just the, the weight of gospel truth hangs heavy upon these verses. What I want us to do this morning is, is build upon some thoughts that we brought forward last week. Last week we saw how God is going to cause the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. He intends to bless all nations, all families through Christ. And this morning I want us to address the question is is how God is going to do that. How is it that God is going to bless all nations and all families to the ends of the earth How is it that God is going to do that? And the answer in our text this morning is He's going to do it through His suffering servant. In other words, He's going to do it through Christ and through His work that He does on the cross for our benefit. Let's start here in verse 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant, Yahweh, is the spokesperson here. It is Yahweh who is announcing the success of the work of His servant right from the beginning. Because it says here, my servant will act wisely, says my uh, English standard. Your translation may say, he shall prosper. That's pretty good. I like what the New English translation says. It says, my servant will succeed. 
the prosperous success of Yahweh's servant is guaranteed from the beginning, and it guarantees the results of the servant's work. That is, the results of Christ's work on the cross and even through His resurrection. Now keep in mind, Isaiah is writing and prophesying in Israel 700 years, over 700 years, before Jesus ever walks the planet. Before the angel Gabriel announces to Mary that she will bear the Son of God, Yahweh, through Isaiah, predicts that the results of the work of Messiah are already a done deal. He will succeed. He will accomplish all the work that Yahweh sends him into the world to do. He will perfectly fulfill the will of Yahweh. And so the results are certain. The suffering servant's success is guaranteed. I think about businesses. They'll give you a money-back guarantee, right? Money-back guaranteed. And, and businesses, they, they promise to give you your money back if their product does not meet your needs. Here's the thing. God doesn't deal in money-back guarantees because there's no possibility He's going to fail. Will Yahweh's servant fail? Let's be very clear. Will Christ, could Christ have failed? We see here in prophecy the resounding answer to that question in this text and all throughout uh, even chapter 53. We'll look at that further in just a moment. But all throughout this hymn, the answer comes back a resounding, absolutely not. There's not a hint of the possibility of failure on God's part or on Christ's part. And in fact, this here, where it's uh, the, my servant will succeed, this corresponds to the last statement of Christ on the cross. It is finished. It's done. It's complete. And so, yes, uh, we see that the certainty of this prophecy, failure was never option for the divine will. Humans fail. God doesn't. And so we continue through here, verse 14. Many were appalled at you, and some translations provide the words, my people, in order to provide clarity in the contrast here. Many people were appalled at Israel and, and what they had become and what God would do to them as a result of their sin. Well, so the appearance of the servant would be marred more than any human, his form more than the sons of men. I think about the beatings that Christ received. That's what's being pictured here. How they, the, the guards clothed him in purple, covered his eyes and beat him about the head and face took a crown of thorns and shoved it onto his forehead. I was taking the trash out this week, and, and uh, my wife had thrown away a, a rose in there, and the stem has these thorns on, and I grabbed the trash, and ooh, I felt that one. A crown of thorns, 
piercing the flesh of Christ. And then there's the Roman scourging that he endured with the flagellum that had bits of metal and bone tied to the ends that ripped into his sacred flesh. Elsewhere in prophecy, it talks about they would tear out pieces of his beard. I have a, a niece when she was very little uh, would, would like to grab hold of this here on, on my chin and, and she would tug on that. Never pulled it out, thank goodness, but when Christ came, wicked hands were not stayed and they pulled out his beard. His appearance was marred more than any person. Which uh, corresponds to later on in verse 2 of chapter 53. He has no form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should desire him. He was just a, an ordinary guy. You know, he, he wasn't the, I don't know, who's, who's the heartthrob in Hollywood these days, right? With the, with the dashing good looks and that strike, those striking features. Christ, he was just like us. Just a, an ordinary guy and, and nothing that would draw our attention to him. And yet it was through the servant. God would accomplish His will. Verse 15 of chapter 52, He shall sprinkle many nations. That's what most translations say, sprinkle. Again, the New English translation says startle. He will startle many nations. I like that because of the parallelism here of the next line. Kings will shut their mouths on account of Him. There is a, a shocking aspect to the gospel where, where we are startled, we're shocked at what God has done. God does this to His own Son to accomplish human redemption. It is shocking. It is scandalizing. And yes, we, the picture here of, of shutting their mouths, that's where Paul lands in Romans chapter 3, after he's gone through chapters 1 and 2, how the whole world is accountable to God, chapter 3. Picture there is one of the head bowed, the mouth shut, because we stand before the bar of God, guilty. So yeah, we many nations are startled. This actually corresponds to earlier in chapter 52, verse 10, where it says that Yahweh has bared His holy arm. He's rolling up His sleeves. And the arm of Yahweh speaks to His power. And so... Yahweh has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. This, again, is answering to what we saw last week. All the nations, the ends of the earth, how is He going to do it? Right here. It's through His servant. This is how He's going to shock the nations. And they're going to be startled at the revelation of the power of God. They're going to be startled and shocked as they see the salvation that Yahweh brings. It is also interesting that all the nations, all the ends of the earth are going to see this, but it's the many nations here. Now, while the, the scope of the revelation is certainly international, 
it is not, the application of the benefits of what the servant has done is not universal. And that is, of course, because not everybody believes, tragically. While, while they're shocked and they see the revelation, it's undeniable what God has done. They still refuse and they still reject the salvation that God brings. Again, every, every verse here, every line, we could spend so much time just working through all of these things. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men. He came to his own. His own did not receive him, says John. That's the fulfillment. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. I've, it's been a number of years, but we, we worked through uh, the idea of soul care and talked about mental health. Uh, and, and this was one of the verses that we went to. Christ, he, he was acquainted with grief. This is why we can come to Him when we ourselves are grieved. And we can cast our burdens upon Him because He cares. Um, and then, a man of sorrows. And then, verse 4, He carried our sorrows. He says, yes, put it on me. I will take it. Verse 4 ends that he was smitten by God. Make no mistake that it is God all throughout this that does this. Yes, it is the hands of wicked men who ultimately hammer in the nails. And, but it is God who does this to his servant, to Messiah. Uh, smitten by God. It's very interesting in verse 6, the, the end of verse 6. I actually talked about this during the Thursday evening broadcast uh, on, on YouTube, available now, and, and I invite you to go and, and watch. We spent time toward the end of what I was talking about there and, uh, in this verse. In the end of verse 6, Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all, could also be translated, and the, NIT, the NET translates it as, Yahweh has caused our iniquity to attack him. And I, I like that idea conceptually because of how that verse begins. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to his own way. When sheep go a-wandering, they wander away from the safety of the shepherd. They are now out in the open, exposed, vulnerable, and open for attack. And sin here is pictured as this wild beast, teeth bared, claws showing, crouched, ready to pounce upon us. And just as sin pounces upon us to visit violence and death upon us, the good shepherd rushes in and he takes the attack on himself. The emphasis is on our transgressions and our iniquities. Christ had no sin. The things that you have done and you have done and I have done, that's what causes God to attack God, as it were. This is what's at the heart of the gospel. Again, so much here. Um, talk about the, the whole mass of sins that come upon Christ. 
And yet that's a demonstration of the love that he has. It is his love that keeps him nailed to the cross. And then the claims that 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 impresses upon us, upon me, to feel the weight of, wow, God has done this. How ought I to live in light of what he has done? Verse 8, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living? There's the death of the servant. To be the, the land of the living, that's the realm of where we live. And yet he is cut off out of the land of the living. He dies on the cross. We know that. He really does die in our place. This is, this is the prophecy here of the crucifixion and death of Christ. And, and so, uh, verse 9, his grave was assigned with the wicked. And in fact, the, the idea here is, the wicked, they intended to bury him as a common man. That was their intention. If they could, they would just throw him out in a ditch and just leave him there for the birds to peck at him. That was the intention of wicked men. But he was with a rich man in his death. And and all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew chapter 27, verses 57 through 60, Mark chapter 15, verses 43 to 46, Luke chapter 23, verses 50 to 53, John chapter 19, verses 38 to 42, all of them emphasize how a man of means named Joseph of Arimathea stepped forward and said, you can bury him in my tomb. And you see the confounding the thwarting of the wicked intentions of these men, the restraining hand of God in action. They intended just to throw him out with the wicked and and a common man, yet he was buried in a rich man's tomb. The answer as to why that is is the rest of the verse. It was because he'd done no violence. When this is translated from Hebrew into Greek, there was no lawlessness in him. And then Peter, giving us the uh, Holy Spirit-inspired New Testament update, says there was no sin in him. This is the sinlessness of Christ at work here that's being pictured. Nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. Think about that. No deceit. You think of all all the times that you have deliberately lied in your life to get out of something, right? And then there's all those little white lies that we tell, right? Jesus never told a lie. No lie was ever found in his mouth. Which means everything he said was true. And by the way, this specifically, these lines here are applied to Christ by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. He never told a lie. He never taught a false doctrine. He never deceived a single person. Don't get me wrong. False witnesses are brought against him in abundance, and yet he was always a true witness to God. And to the things of God, Jesus always and only spoke the truth. What does that mean about his teaching? Every single line that he's ever spoken, as that's recorded in Scripture, was true. And that means he makes some very strong claims if we would follow him. Again, claims upon our life. If any man would follow after me, You want to follow Jesus? Again, he always and only spoke the truth. 
He is a true teacher of righteousness. This also speaks again to his sinlessness, which it's, it's fascinating here. This is prophecy predicting 700 years before he ever comes, his sinlessness. But even prior to Isaiah, you have in the law how all of the sacrifices were to be without blemish. And especially in close context here, in Isaiah 53, verse 10, it talks about the guilt offering. And you go back and you read about the guilt offering in Leviticus chapters 5 and 6, and you see there, chapter 5, verse 13, chapter 6, uh, verse 4, also chapter 5, verse 18, the guilt offering was to be without blemish. This is why Christ is a perfect sacrifice for sin. A perfect, sinless offering to God. He fulfills those righteous requirements of the law. He fulfills this prophecy perfectly. He, again, perfectly fulfills the will of God. Verse 10, it was, but it was Yahweh. Yahweh was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. You understand, this is sin is so awful, and what sin does to us, the the consequences and the results, not only now in time, but eternally, are so terrible that in order to save us from that, it actually pleases God to do what He does to His servant. That's how awful sin is, you see. And so it pleased Him to crush Him as, as the grape is pressed and crushed in the wine press. That's the idea here. He was crushed for our iniquities. Here it is again, crushed. Uh, Putting him to grief could also be translated to make him ill. The idea here uh, is the words here, he wounded him, is is how it could also be understood and, and translated. That is, Yahweh causes his servant to endure these wounds. Think about the wounds of the cross, the 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 crown of thorns, the piercing in his side. Those same wounds, by the way, that after he's raised, he says, put your hand here, touch and see. The the next line here is notoriously difficult to translate. uh, My English standard, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, it will, one translation says, if you would place his soul as a guilt offering, it's, again, just very difficult to uh, translate here. But it does seem that the guilt offering is in view here. Again, all the way back in Leviticus chapters 5 and 6, the guilt offering uh, is, is in view here. And so Christ is offered up as a guilt offering in, in, that, in that way. The guilt offering you offered because of sin. You were guilty of sin. And so to take away that guilt, a sacrifice had to be made. But this brings us all the way back to what we, where we started. He will see his seed or his offspring, his descendants. These are what are called in the New Testament children of promise. That's who we are, brothers and sisters. And I want you to see There's no question about this. Maybe, perhaps, hopefully he'll see some seed. I don't know. There's no question. There's no doubt. This is pointing to the reality. He will see his 
the children of promise. He's going to see them. The connection here to the accomplished work of Christ to the conversion of the children of promise is they're inseparably attached. And this is because of the, the work of Christ. Again, the guilt offering, he's not only the sacrifice, he's the high priest as well. And the high priest's work was a unified work. It was a single work. This is why the, the writer of Hebrews talks about Christ's single offering. You cannot separate the sacrifice of Christ from his continued me- work as our mediator. Those go together as a single work, and that's why what is accomplished on the cross will surely bring about the results of children of promise. Christ will see his people brought in, brought up, brought through, and brought home. It's interesting. The one who was cut off out of the land of the living is the same one who, the very next line here in verse 10, he shall prolong his days. This is the resurrection in prophecy. How is it that he would be cut off and yet he'll prolong his days? And and the the Jewish rabbis, they would puzzle over this. And it's only in the light of Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, that we we can bring these two together. Oh, he was cut off because he died on the cross, but he prolongs his days because he was raised up by the power of God. And he is vindicated and shown to be exactly who he claimed to be, Lord, Christ, the Son of God, even God in the flesh. He will prolong his days. The writer of Hebrews leans into this. He talks about he always lives to make intercession. Yeah, this is, his is an eternal priesthood. But it's this last line that I really want to draw our attention to especially. The will of Yahweh shall prosper in his hand. Another translation says, it, the will of Yahweh will succeed in his hand. Remember, we, talk, we started off talking about that. The, the, the results are guaranteed already. And that's because Yahweh's purpose will be accomplished through him, through Christ. The purpose, the will of Yahweh is, is his eternal will, his eternal purpose. And it is accomplished through Christ. It's in His hand, is, is literally what the Hebrew says here. In His hand, the full counsel, the full will, the, the full purpose of God is entrusted to Him. And so again, success is guaranteed. The, uh, the accomplishment of it, the application of it, are all guaranteed here in prophecy. Verse 11, as a result of the anguish of his soul, the, the anguish, the trouble, the misery that Christ endured. And again, the anguish is, is unspeakable in just the, the intensity of it. And that's what's in, in view here in anguish, the intensity of his suffering. But notice, he will see. That is Yahweh. God will see. He'll see the anguish of his servant and be satisfied. The title of this lesson is Satisfaction Guaranteed. This is why. Satisfaction uh, where where Christ perfectly satisfies 
the wrath of God for sin, the justice of God for all of our law-breaking, the satisfaction that brings us salvation. There is no salvation without satisfaction. That satisfaction is guaranteed right here, 700 years before Christ. And then when Christ comes, He does just that through the cross, through His resurrection, through His continued intercession on behalf of His people. He perfectly satisfies that. Verse 11 concludes, He shall bear their iniquities. That's what Christ does on the cross. He carries, He bears, He he takes upon Himself our iniquities. Um, He will. Points to the future of this, right? He will. That's how it reads in the Old Testament. When you come to the New Testament, it's Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, he bore our sins, past tense. The Hebrew Bible and the New Testament all point to that single event, the cross. It is at the cross that Jesus bears our sins. And then it is by his blood that we are justified. All of our sins are forgiven and washed away. Both Testaments, point two, the completed work of Christ. Indeed, he has borne all of our iniquities. And you know, the substance of the gospel is that atonement has been made. God's wrath for our sins has been satisfied, not by anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done, Christ's finished work on the cross. You see, all we contributed to this was sin. That's what's emphasized here. We wandered away, our sins, our transgressions, all of that, our iniquities, that is what we have contributed. But Christ, He carried all those to the altar of the cross and He made Himself a guilt offering on our behalf. And so the Son, He satisfies both the righteous requirement of the law and then also the wrath of God for our failure to keep the law perfectly. God's justice, it must be satisfied, and Yahweh's servant has perfectly satisfied divine justice. That is God Himself. Think about it. God Himself satisfies His own righteous justice for us. God Himself is the high priest who offers Himself and then continues to intercede on our behalf for our sins. And so the blessing to all the nations, the blessing to all the families, how is it God will do it? Well, He has done it and continues to do it through Christ. No wonder we sing, He's got the whole world in His hand. And it is in Christ's hand. Let's commit this to prayer. We are overwhelmed, Father, by the things that you put your servant through. And just as, just as we were overwhelmed by sin, even more so we are overwhelmed by the incredible love, Father, that you have for us, the deep love that Christ had for us in going to the cross. 
We thank you that you have justified us by the blood of Christ that he shed on the cross. We thank you for the prophecy of Isaiah that shows us clearly what Christ would do and indeed what he has done on our behalf. We pray, Father, that we would be people who share this good news, this gospel with others. That we would point them to the sacred head of Christ where all of our sins meet and and touch His head. And we also pray, Father, that we would live in a way that is pleasing to You in light of the cross. That we would never take that sacrifice for granted. We pray all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen.